Christ Community Church is called by the God of all grace for the transforming of life in Middle Tennessee, spiritually, socially, and culturally. Through the power of the gospel, from Franklin to the nations of the world, all for the glory of God. For more information, visit ChristCommunity.org. Good morning, church. It is great to see all of you here because the weather is no better at 30A than it is right here, right now. We are warm, it's colder and wet, and we lost an hour. Let's worship together and go home and have a giant nap. We won't be stuck in traffic, be fewer people out at lunch. God is good, amen? Amen. The peace of Christ be with you. Let me welcome those who are joining us on the live stream this morning, our friends and family who may be joining us from 30A this morning and wherever the Lord finds you. Uh, We are grateful that you are joining us. We know there are many who are joining us, not only here locally and within Middle Tennessee and Franklin, but also those around the country and around the world. We know you are joining us because you let us know that you are here. We are grateful that you've joined us. And we turn this morning to God's word together. And as we do so, we hear the word of God. And uh, let me explain why is it that every Sunday we read the word? I want to be clear to say loudly that the reading of the word is even more important than the sermon about the word. Because the word is to be read to God's people and to be received first without interpretation, but through the work of the Holy Spirit. I get to be an errand boy for Jesus to share with you what I've learned from this passage and prayerfully pray that the Lord would use what I am learning for your sake, that you would be encouraged and that I would be encouraged. The point is, everything that we do here is less important than the one to whom we point. So the reading of the word, we do this every week, not because we're just trying to be rote or it's perfunctory or unimportant, or we wanna get it out of the way to get to the sermon, which is sometimes what we're tempted to think in the West. But the truth is the beauty of just reading the word of God, which is why we've encouraged our entire body, as many as can and want to, to join us in the big read. If you note, and this was not by design, it's how the Lord does it. And where we started the big read at the beginning of Lent leads us to this Sunday, almost to this passage. That's just the way the Lord designed it. So if you're reading through the big read, or if you haven't, go to our website, check it out. Join us for the rest of the season as we uh, purposefully and uh, read through and sit in the Gospel of John. It is a great, great book. So hear now the word of God, John chapter 9, verses 1 to 11. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, 
but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of God, of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors, those who had seen him before as a beggar, were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus Christ, in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, your word has been read. Now may your word go forth by your strength and power to make us a new people for your glory and for your world. We thank you and praise you for your presence. And we ask, Lord, make us new through this glorious word. Help the teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Something personal, noisy neighbors, and world. There's something here that's personal. There's a lot of noisy neighbors, but there is yet something even more glorious. It is for the world. Let's look together. First, at something very personal. What's happening here at the very first word is meant to, for us to pay attention as readers and as hearers of the Bible. As we've said before in other places, as we've said here, John is not just some robot puppet that the Holy Spirit is guiding along as he writes his gospel The Lord is working through his giftedness, his creativity, his background, but also the audience to whom John is writing. And so we ought to pay attention to the things that John brings up. And notice just how tightly packed these first few words are. Speaking of Jesus, verse 1, as he passed by, he saw. What did he see? He saw someone without sight. He clearly brought enough attention to it because it raised the attention of the disciples. The text tells us, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man of his parents, and that he was born blind? Which is it? So it's very easy to turn easily, quickly to verse 2 and miss just how important verse 1 is. That the Savior of the world the king of heaven and earth, Jesus saw 
one that no one else paid attention to any longer. He saw the one who could not see, who had never seen. I don't know if you have any experience with someone who's never seen anything in their lives. I've had that experience. I served an absolutely beautiful couple who neither one of them had ever seen a physical thing in their lives and they met each other in an institution because that's what you did to people when you were born blind and had nowhere else to go in a family who could not raise you, schools who would not teach you. And they met one another in that institution. They fell in love and became a married couple later in life. They were a member of our church plant in New Jersey. And I got to visit with them But one of the things you see when you visit with someone who's experienced that, there is so much more pain that happens with someone who's in that condition, even in this modern world. They felt they had no control over those who abused them. Didn't just reject them, but abused them. Doctors who would ignore them and just medicine them up because they had a long list of ailments. And a place that felt like they were living on the edge of wealth at the neighborhood of desperation. They lived in one of the wealthiest communities in all of North Jersey, one of the most diverse socioeconomically, racially, and yet here they were, they found themselves in a rent-subsidized apartment on the edge of wealth with no attention, no advocacy, just trying to figure out how to be husband and wife. So can you imagine with me this morning what this man's life must have been like at this time. Jesus saw the one who had never seen. And he came as light of the world to those who cannot see. And so we ought to pay attention very early in this chapter. As in the whole of the Gospel of John, we see that John is working with us at a literary level. Sight clearly has multiple meanings. There's physical sight, there's metaphorical spiritual sight, and there's the sight of grace and mercy. He has compassion on this man. He heals him. And then watch what in a tightly packed couple of sentences John does when Jesus has compassion on him. He says, 
after he says, as long as I am the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground, made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he, the blind beggar, went and washed and came back seeing. Man, there's a lot of beauty there. Jesus has compassion on someone who has been rejected, put to the side, put in a category, and he doesn't just have compassion on him, he doesn't just heal him, he does something even far more profound and personal. He actually is changing this man's identity right before our eyes and our ears. How does he do that? Jesus sees the one who has never seen, heals him, sends him to a pool to be washed in a pool that means sent. He then goes and comes back seeing. He then becomes a eyewitness to the one who has been sent from the Father to do the works of him as long as it is day. So in essence, the God of all the world through the anointing power of the Holy Spirit that came on Jesus at his baptism has been sent into the darkness as the light to restore the light in the midst of the darkness that the darkness would be transformed and then to be sent to be washed and then to be sent to be a witness. Now that is incredibly personal. And then he changes his identity, but it's not so fast as the healing. When you get to this whole chapter, I want you to see the progression. What happens in the progression of this story, he begins by saying, I was blind. And they're like, hey, wait, you're not the dude. Are you the dude? I don't think you're the dude. He goes, I'm the dude. I'm the guy who was blind, right? So he starts there. Never seen a thing. I'm the blind guy. Can't you believe it? They're like, nope. He's like, I'm him, but he doesn't stay there. He then is asked, who did this? Where did he go? I don't know. Now think about that interaction for just a minute. You've never seen anything. Now you see for the first time, where is he? I don't know. I'm restored seeing here. I'm not exactly your GPS to the guy you're trying to catch. But notice in verse 12, and I know we didn't read all the way through this because we don't have the time. Okay, but he says, I don't know where he is in verse 12. But then suddenly as this text progresses in verse 17, now he says, he is the prophet Do you see what's happening? He's no longer one who was blind and rejected. Now he's a witness. Now we see his growth as a disciple. It's right there. I don't know what's happened to me. I know this did happen. I don't know where he is, but he's got to be a prophet, but it doesn't stop there. The text goes on. Then by verse 25, he says, whether he is a sinner, I don't know. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And then in the midst 
of the temple, pay attention, in the midst of the temple, this blind man, now seeing, is now teaching. He then turns to the Pharisees and says, guess what? Sinners don't do this. And when he's teaching, the Holy Spirit works and he, that brings conviction. They get so angry and they get so frustrated with him. He says, verse 30, the man answered, why is this an amazing thing? You don't even know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. And indeed, that is true. You go to the Old Testament, there's not registered there a blind person receiving their sight. So he's saying, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone has opened the eyes of a man born blind. Then verse 33, if this man were not from God, he could not, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. Would you teach us? And they cast him out. Pay attention. Why? This man goes from not believing, not having sight, to being restored to his sight, being sent being a witness, becoming a, himself an eyewitness and calling Jesus more than a prophet. He's saying, this is the one who has come, who's been sent by God. I have received my sight. How could you believe him to be anything else other than from God? And they said, away with you. This is a picture of exactly what they're going to do to Jesus. They're going to throw him out and they're gonna put him outside the walls of Jerusalem. This man's identity is and has been changed. That is the beauty of just how personal and just how powerful is the light of Christ as the light of the world. He means to change us personally, fundamentally, at our own understanding of who we are and then what we were made to do. we see it before our eyes and we are welcomed into it. Jesus is not about making us good girls and boys. He means to remake us from the inside out. To restore the beauty of the identity that the Lord has intended for us that we might be reflections and witnesses to his Grace, oh, what grace is this light of the world. That the Lord would use someone who's been rejected, the foolish thing to shame the wise. And that is exactly what happens with this man. But the noisy neighbors won't have it. The noisy neighbors aren't just the Pharisees, weren't just the neighbors who pass by this man every day, it's also the disciples. What are they worried about? What do they most wanna know? What they wanna know is that the world is closed to them. Much like Job's ridiculous friends who said, your suffering is the result of something you did. And they wanna know, which one sinned? Black or white? Which one is it? 
tell us. Because we need to understand. The Pharisees too want to understand. There's no way that you could have been healed this way. You must be lying. For the disciples, A, suffering is caused by B, sin, therefore, judgment. And the noisy neighbors will not let this man forget who he was. But the light of the world will not allow that to stand. Why is that? Is because it isn't just something for the personal individual. Hear this. The gospel of grace is not merely for our personal needs. It means to change community. And the noisy neighbors, as one writer aptly describes this crowd, are the ones who need the changing. And Jesus is showing that his gospel kingdom brings salvation and healing grace. Remember where we've been. When Jesus performs these signs, they're not an end in of themselves. They're meaning to show when heaven and earth come together. And it's an emphasis that John comes back to again and again and again. And in some ways, this is an extension of the incarnation narrative. This is an extension of where John was going from the very first chapter. And when he's coming and performing these signs, it means to show that when the light of Christ has come into the world, that the kingdom that he brings is not concerned with the things that this worldly kingdom seems so bound up in. Who do we blame? Because they want to content themselves with why is this man suffering? Where did it come from? If we can nail that down, healings like this don't happen. Surely God has not come back to this world. And they want to close down the world. Think about that. Think about the nature of the human heart and of the heart of the kingdom of this world and of the evil one who's over, who seeks to disrupt and cause noise and discouragement. The kingdom of Christ comes and wants to upend it all. They want to know who to blame. Jesus says, the world is broken because of sin generally. You want to know who sinned. I'm telling you, I've come for sinners. It's a statement that is worth stopping on to understand. He means to change and overcome the kingdom of this world and not just to provide you and I with personal redemption and salvation. He means to upend the false narratives and the false judgment of this world that wants to put people in categories, to keep them there, to understand, to judge, or to lift up, whatever the case may be. Jesus and his kingdom want nothing to do with it. I'm grateful for the Dutch theologian, Herman Bavink, who said these words, the gospel is not, is not a law, but good news. It came not to judge, but to save. It is the supernatural, 
work of God welled up from God's free, generous, and rich love. It does not kill, but makes alive. It does not wound, but it heals. It is pure grace. The reason these characters and noisy neighbors need to be in this story is because I wonder where we place ourselves as we hear the story. At times, I think I'm more like the noisy neighbors. But what the Lord means to do is he means to come into the kingdom and he says, my kingdom is not of this world. But what I bring to this world is a kingdom that brings healing and grace. Why is it then, dear friends, when we read passages like this, why do people get so upset that someone who never seen a day in his life has been healed? Why are people so bent and determined to disprove it? Why are they so bent and determined to keep him in his old identity? It is because it is something that is true that the world needs to wrestle with. And we, if you are a believer, need to wrestle with this. And if you're not a believer, I want you to wrestle with it this morning. His grace does not come to bring judgment, but it does. It wasn't the purpose, but it does. If the world rejects the grace of healing, the grace of the power of God showing up, then the judgment is on display. We are rejecting a God of love, mercy, and grace. Why, oh why, do humans and do we reject such things? It is because we, as noisy neighbors, we don't want God to dethrone us. But that is what he's doing. He's dethroning and uncovering all the false powers, all the false gospels, all the categorization, because the grace of his new kingdom heals. And we're invited to say, Lord, would your kingdom disrupt anything that would reject such grace and mercy. The final part is the world. It isn't something just that is personal. It isn't just something for us as noisy neighbors to disrupt our kingdom, our pride. For this God of grace in the king that is Jesus came to say something about the world. It is not merely personal, it isn't here merely to disrupt the false kingdoms. He's saying something about the world, the stuff, the material. We need to be tipped off to this because of where the gospel of John begins. Remember, you remember where we were. The gospel of John chapter one is recalling Genesis chapter one. What happens at Genesis chapter one? For God in his grace and mercy and beauty and love, creativity, created all things from nothing that was void and dark and light came and he created. He created the heavens and the earth. He created the water of the sea. He created the earth and the ground and he created man and woman from the what? 
Say it with me. The what? Dust. Now listen to this, friends. The message of the world is God, according to his word, says he forms man from the dust and he breathed life into him. Jesus uses mud and saliva and water to bring what? New creation. Not a new being, but a restored person. This has been the story throughout the gospel. Water becomes wine. He touches people. He speaks with his mouth. He goes to a well of water and speaks that the world and life that he brings will well up within us and will not be exhausted, pointing to the work of the Holy Spirit. Here in this passage, he uses mud and saliva. We just saw last week he uses loaves and fish. And this morning and every Sunday morning, we use bread and wine. What is the message about the world? Our king has come not just to bring personal salvation, not just to disrupt the false kingdoms of the world. He means to take the stuff of the world to bring restoration. It all matters. This work in this passage does two things simultaneously. It points back to the creation The Lord is restoring to this man the purpose that he was always to have, to bring out of his darkness into new light and sends him as a witness, but it's also a pointing forward to what the resurrection, when Jesus comes again and all things will be made new. This is good news. That means our stuff of life, our relationships, our skin, our fingers, our speech, our minds, our hearts, what we eat, how we eat, where we eat, with whom we eat, how we work, where we work, what we work, all of it matters. It all matters because this is the king of the world who is the light of the world. The grace of Christ and his kingdom does not overlook the material world, nor does it cancel out nature. Rather, the Lord of glory reestablishes nature, reshapes nature to point back to creation and forward to resurrection. This is good news. The light of the world descends into darkness, first into the darkness of this man's own life, the chaos of his life, the beggar, the blind man, since birth, rejected. He descends into the darkness of his chaos and brings new life. Glory, glory, glory that the light of the world has descended into the darkness and chaos of evil and sin and will not be undone. So I invite you to consider What darkness is ever dark to our God? For as the psalmist says, where can I flee from your presence? If I should descend to the depths 
and be covered and shrouded in darkness. Even darkness is as light to you. Thanks be to God. So what darkness do you have that you think the Lord of glory and light cannot restore? What kingdom of darkness will ever overthrow the Lord of light? None. And if death did not defeat him, but he defeated it and was raised to life on the third day, then every square inch of our lives matters. And he means to bring restoration. I close with these words, again, from Herman Bovink. Jesus was not a new lawgiver. He was not a statesman, a poet, or philosopher. He is Jesus. That is the Savior. Christ did not come to restore religious or ethical life and to leave the rest of the world undisturbed? No. The love of the Father, the grace of the Son, and the communion of the Holy Spirit extended even as far as sin has corrupted the world. Everything that is sinful, guilty, unclean, and full of woe is as such, and for that very reason, an object of His grace. That is good news. May you receive his grace this morning. If you are in need of prayer this morning, friends, if you need someone to pray over you the grace and light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I invite you forward this morning because his light is never exhausted and his light brings goodness and healing. May you know it today. And as you consider your need this morning, and if you need to come, I encourage you to consider the words of the hymn that is going to be sung over us in a few moments, titled, Jesus, I Come. Consider the first verse. Out of my bondage, sorrow and night, Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come. Into thy freedom, gladness and light, Jesus, I come to thee. Out of my sickness and into thy health, out of my wanting and into thy wealth, out of my sin and into thyself, Jesus, we come to thee. Let's pray. Lord, by your grace and your power, through the anointing of your Holy Spirit, may we receive this beautiful kingdom. This kingdom that has not been overcome. Though the kingdom of this world has rejected the light of the world, may your light come and not be overcome by the darkness. And may you remake us and may you restore this world and may you make us witnesses to your restoring grace. We thank you and praise you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.